We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. I'm James Anderson, joined by our resident expert in college football, Mario Puig. Uh, Mario, last week's slate, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. I mean, a lot of the games are kind of really spread out, so it was sort of hard for me to even keep track of, you know, my winnings and which, which contests I did well in and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, first things first, the, the number one guy you recommended on the podcast last week was Des Epps, and that one worked out pretty well. Yeah, uh, he was kind of a gimme, though, just because uh, he, he was just undervalued across the uh, DFS industry, so he was just a very easy player to fit in a lineup, and obviously it's not often where you can just universally fit in a guy who's got 15 catch potential. So, yeah, Epps should stay hot. Even, even against USC this week, I can see him doing something like 8 to 10 catches just because he, he he pretty much is like a BCS conference level talent. It's only because of uh, character things that he's probably at Idaho right now. 
but yeah, he was he was really good. He should stay good. Um, otherwise, yeah, I mean that that Thursday slate was a little goofy just because like Vanderbilt, Western Kentucky was a lot lower scoring than a lot of people thought. Um, yeah, the TCU kind of just squeaked by, and the uh, the I don't know if that was a, no, that was Thursday, wasn't it? Yeah, so they they just sneaked by. So yeah, but there was a lot of there was a lot of assumption that the elite players, the, the elite 2014 players like Boykin, mm-hmm. Doty, Leon Allen, etc., would just keep rolling. But uh, there's a lot of brick walls in that slate. So yeah, you, it was getting out with a win would have been pretty lucky for a lot of people based on like general assumption beforehand. Yeah. I think for the most part, underpaying at quarterback, especially on that Thursday slate was, was the way to go. Uh, for me, you know, in, in terms of just the, the FanDuel contests I was in, uh, I think Kevon Lucas was my high score on the weekend. Uh, did you have him going a lot of places on, on Saturday? I did not on Saturday, but uh, I appreciated in the Thursday slate how they had Thomas Sirk so very low yeah. when he was pretty much like the best quarterback play by far, uh, especially adjusted for price. So that that made that that prevented any nasty you know m- money hemorrhaging lineups in, in the Fanduel uh, Thursday slate. But yeah, uh, Saturday Keevan Lucas was surprisingly easy to fit in a lineup. Um, there was there were a couple of other options that were pretty good, but. Uh, yeah, I, di- I didn't do as well on there because I unfortunately bit on some uh, Auburn people who I thought were like very cheap in a in a game against a defense that basically had like no returning experience and it, on an offensive system run by Gus Malzahn that had previously been you know close to infallible and and Jeremy Johnson especially killed me because he was he was so good he effortlessly just tore apart Arkansas in week one of last year like two hundred and fifty and two touchdowns in one half. And uh, he did not reach either of those <laughs> distinctions in the entire game against Louisville. So kind of bitter at Auburn right now. But I, I, so, well, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, like, who do you hate the most right now after after what happened last week? Uh, I mean, there there were obviously some so stuff. much hate to go. Yeah, around. I know. I mean, I, I mean, just, if you could only pick a few places w- to to send that hate, where would it the go? The MJ of the haters ball <laughs> in this in this uh, podcast is definitely Larry Fedora, <laughs> um, just because I, I really hate how he uh, blames his players every time he gets owned. Um, but yeah, he they're asking like, what? Hey, coach, what what happened wrong with uh, Marquise Williams? He threw it to the wrong color. The wrong colored shirt. It's like, oh, is that? Did you maybe have any? Did you have any role in kind of like uh, seeing to the circumstances that he played within? It's like, no, 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 no. Like in last year, he was, he was saying like, none of those kids, not one of them, is doing what they were coached to do. Like, oh wow, so you're 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 pretty. You like yourself, huh? Um, anyway, Larry Fedora always <laughs> the king. Um, otherwise, yeah, Auburn. I'm kind of bitter about everybody. Auburn, Shaman, all you guys except Ricardo Lewis. You did you did pretty good. Um, but yeah, otherwise. It, it's it's it, there's no there's no uh, very obvious hate case for the time being. Larry Fedora is the the buck nasty of the the college football uh, <laughs> landscape, as as it were. Um, so you know we've got a obviously we're going to get to the Saturday slate. That's what I think most people are, are yeah. tuning in to to talk about. But the the Thursday slate they've got you know a few games on there. You see any reason to kind of go in on that, or are you just going to take? all your funds and, and hop on that Saturday slate. If I do it, uh, have any action on Thursday, it will just be, you know, a, a bullet. Like I won't even bother with cash games because it's like the, the differences between the teams is so small. You might as well try to get a tournament win out of it. Um, Cause it, yeah, the, the difference between like first and right. you know, the middle yeah, probably good, won't be huge. Point. 
Uh, there's three games. One of them is just a garbage game, Utah and Utah State. I love Chucky Keaton. He, he was the man back before his stupid knees kept ripping up or whatever, but he was just pitiful. Like One of the worst box scores I've ever seen against Weber or no, not Weber State, sorry. Uh, Got to bring up Keaton. So he, he finished with 16 of 33 for 110 yards. That's 48.5 completed, 3.3 per attempt, one interception against Southern Utah. So I don't know. I'm not optimistic about Chucky ever coming back, really. That's uh, tough to do. I think 3.3 per attempt is tough to do. Like that's that's yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't impressively. Bad. I don't know what happened with it. I mean, his his he can't be right. That is, it's it's just disappointing because before the year there was you know all the reports in fall camps like yeah Chucky's back, but no he's not. And I don't know. They, it could have just been a an exceedingly weird game, and maybe they'll bounce back a bit, but probably not because Utah's defense is really good. So, um, yeah, I mean, Utah is the only team that I can see doing anything in that game. And even they, it's like Travis Wilson isn't a good quarterback. Um, they gave just, I mean, Devontae Booker will always cost you a ton. And then the next running back on the team, uh, Joe Williams, had one carry for seven yards last week. Uh, I guess he might get more work. But basically, finding bargains is hard. And, you know, basically, randomness, luck is kind of what will determine the outcome for a, a slate so small. And uh, just with so few viable scoring options. All right. So right before we get to this this Saturday slate, I mean, let's. I mean, Fanduel is definitely probably the place you want to be playing. Uh, you know, obviously there was some money to be made last week, but there's there's definitely more money to be made this week. Uh, go to Fanduel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right hand corner. Use the code for this podcast RWCFB, and you can sign up now. There's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. Offers only good for the first 50 people that use our code RWCFB. And uh, you know, it's you know, definitely a fun time. I mean, there's there's going to be some uh, great opportunities to to win some cash this weekend and going forward, especially if you're listening to the podcast re- regularly. Uh, that'll give you a, a leg up. In, uh, I mean, even if you strike out on a tournament or two, if you're just listening to the podcast, you should do en- enough in cash games to to be doing okay for yourself. All right, now let's get to the the Saturday slate. Uh, I just wanted to hit on a, a few guys that really kind of uh, put in work on on some of the bigger teams, and they're playing in this early slate. Cardell Jones, Braxton Miller, Derek Henry. Uh, you know, the Ohio State team. Uh, Braxton Miller, probably the big kind of standout player from that game, just based on expectations going in. Uh, they have Hawaii, I believe, this week. I think yeah. they're like 40-point favorites in that one. Are you looking at the prices on any of these three guys? I mean, obviously the talent is is definitely there, but you know Alabama's got Middle Tennessee as well. Are you avoiding these guys just because of, of the blowout that you're expecting in both games? I don't know how much I'll target any Buckeyes, but uh, I mean, it's worth mentioning Cardell is their number one quarterback on FanDuel's early slate, 9,500. That kind of categorically removes him for me just sure. because I'm, I don't want to pay 9,500 when I see something like eight other guys who mm-hmm. I think can get 25 or something like that. Um, I'll mention quickly Luke Falk is the second most expensive. He's the Washington State quarterback going on the road to play against Rutgers. Their defense has been really bad for a while. Uh, he's 8,900. He had a shoulder injury or something last week. Uh, it was kind of, I can't remember what it was, but anyway, he's, he's looking really good in practice. So apparently he's, he's locked in again and whatever it was that was bothering him in that Portland state loss in week one. 
is no longer an issue or not believed to be anyway. Chris Laviano is going to start at uh, quarterback for Rutgers. He's on the other side of that game going against the, you know, generally weak Washington State defense. So Laviano's kind of consideration. Malik Zaire was almost perfect last week. He's a cheap 8,300 you know, cash game type consideration, even as he goes against Virginia. I mean, it's on the road, but Virginia got carved up by Josh Rosen, who pretty much had a perfect game himself. So like Zaire, like Notre Dame in general, uh, Seifo Leofau should bounce back for Colorado after a, a terrible week one. He's at home against Massachusetts. And then the other side, this is this is probably my favorite cash game quarterback on the slate, Blake Frenatful of Massachusetts. He is going on the road to play Colorado, but Colorado gave up, uh, I want to say, three touchdowns to Max Wittick of Hawaii. I think Fernaffel's better. Uh, the team around him, I think, is better. He's got a better number one receiver in Tajay Sharp, who's probably my top cash game receiver. At uh, let's see, he's he's down at sixty nine hundred dollars behind the likes of Braxton Miller, Keon Hatcher. Fine enough names, but yeah, back to the subject of Braxton. I'm not considering him at seventy three hundred, especially ahead of somebody like Tajay Sharp, who's a Bolitnikov a Bolitnikov Award candidate. So you didn't see? I mean, like. Yeah, I guess I, I definitely understand that just from a value standpoint. But is there like a scenario that you could see developing throughout the season where uh, Miller emerges as, you know, a top five wide receiver in the country? Oh, no, not really. It's uh, even I should mention his big game against Virginia Tech was largely just because of suspensions to Jalen Marshall and Dontre Wilson and Corey Smith. Those guys are all back and Ohio State is unsurprisingly doing the whole they have to earn their roles back mm-hmm. thing. But uh, Ohio State's not in the business of, uh, you know, giving playing time on the basis of uh, how blue your collar is or whatever. It's <laughs> like if you can make plays, you're playing. This is a business here. So, yeah, Jalen Marshall will be, will be back in not for not long from now. He's really talented. Wilson's explosive. He can't take much of a workload, but he's explosive. They'll they'll make room for him. So, yeah, Braxton Miller, so, he, he still didn't have a big work volume right. in that game either. So, uh, obviously awesome highlight reel material but i'm not sure it's something that you can really build on in a, in a dfs lineup at his current price range good opportunity to uh, fade a guy who might be might be owned in in some of the, the tournaments and cash games out there that i should mention that rutgers washington state game over under 63 rutgers just two two and a half point favorites so they expect that one to be pretty close do you i know that there's kind of a it appears to be sort of a committee with the Rutgers running backs. Do you see any value in like Paul James's price at all this week, or are you kind of staying away from that? Well, there should be someone who has a big game in that Rutgers backfield. It's hard to tell uh, exactly what their pecking order is. Josh Hicks had the bigger game last week. He probably is like the most raw talented of the group, but Paul James is the the, the veteran of the group. I think he's a senior. Uh, he definitely has a lot of, you know, uh, he definitely is a well-liked player because he keeps coming back from injury and is a former walk-on who you know really worked his way into what he has. Uh, but yeah, he Hicks had the the two touchdowns mostly in the later part of the game, so it seems like James's lighter workload might have been uh, as a result of the game kind of getting out of hand early. Sixty-nine hundred, he's on this slate, Paul James. Uh, that's that's an in-play price, but not something that I would probably build around in cash games. Hicks is actually more expensive at seventy-two hundred. So yeah, I mean, I, I like I like Paul James as a tournament consideration, but if you're if you're talking about building a reliable you know cash game type lineup, I'd rather spend money on you know a Patrick Skov, who's probably the lead runner for Georgia Tech. He's fifty nine hundred against Tulane. He might be like the most owned player on this slate, uh, but it's one of those things where it's so cheap and it's for good reason. And then you got Kenyon Drake at fifty eight hundred. I think he'll play 
a good amount against Middle Tennessee. Um, on the subject of Corey Clement, who uh, he, it was it was kind of initially believed that he suffered uh, an injury. I can't remember what it was. Uh, some some pulled muscle. Uh, it was believed he left the Alabama game with the injury. As it turns out, he actually had the injury beforehand, um, and he tried to play through it and just couldn't really do it. It's a groin pull. Um, so yeah, he has that groin pill. They're going against my Miami of Ohio. So uh, Clement thinks he's going to play. I don't really see a reason for him to because Wisconsin is playing at home against Miami of Ohio. Like they don't lose at home and they don't lose to programs like Miami of Ohio. So be it uh, Daria Gumbawale or Taiwan Deal or maybe both, somebody I think uh, has a really good chance of playing in Clement's place in a highly profitable scenario there. Um, but yeah, those those are those are probably my favorite, you know, is, staple candidates. Is that a move where you would just you know pick one and put him in a lineup and pick the other, and put him in a different lineup, or are you? They're so cheap to... that you might. I mean, I don't know. On on Fanduel, you can you have two running backs. There's no flex uh, versatility. Don't want to go on the whole Wisconsin backfield of Deal mm-hmm. and Wale in that case. Uh, but I mean, if they're cheap enough and you can kind of. You can kind of project in your your projection mo- model like all you need is whatever the Wisconsin backfield will produce mm-hmm. at the price that those two cost. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, as far as distinguishing the two, I mean, Deal's the more talented player. Probably he was he was a you know a respectable recruit. Agumbawale is a former walk on, but he has more traction in the program. He's their you know first off the bench runner. It's just I don't know if they're going to turn to him to be you know like a workhorse candidate. I don't know if it's one of those things where it's like you know. For an NFL comparison, Darren Sproles is second on the depth chart, but he will never start. It's always going to be like the third guy in line who 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 steps up if the starter is hurt or something like that, uh, just because of his build or whatever or his role in the offense and personnel packages specifically. Uh, but yeah, th- that's definitely something that needs to be watched very closely because obviously Wisconsin offensive line versus MAC defense, especially one of the worst MAC teams, Miami of Ohio at home. Uh, there's definitely numbers that are going to happen there. So I don't know why I watched any of the Louisville game last week, but for some reason it ended up being on. I can't remember if that was at work or at my house or not. But uh, That was uh, here while I was screaming about <laughs> Jeremy Johnson and Rob so, Thomas well, getting hurt. I was going to ask you, like Lamar Jackson, he's 5,800 on FanDuel. Uh, he looked kind of explosive at times, and it, it seems like he's going to be the starter against Houston. They're about two touchdown favorites over unders at about 54. Uh, is that price low enough for you to consider him on a, in a one QB format? It would have to probably be in a tournament setting, uh, just because, I mean, he, he has a certain decent floor from his running ability alone. I mean, he was playing against Auburn and ran for 106 yards and a touchdown. The problem is he did nothing as a passer. He was mm-hmm. nine of 20 for a hundred yards and an interception. And so much of that rushing production, it's like it w- when a defense will have time to really prepare for Louisville as a you know, borderline, you know, read option type of offense as opposed mm-hmm. to the the past Bobby Petrino offenses of gunning the ball downfield and using traditional pocket passers. I don't know that Jackson will have as much success running. Uh, with that said, he is going against a Houston defense that looks like it's taken a big step back. They lost their defensive coordinator to Texas Tech, I think. Um, he did a really great job there the last few years. They uh, they shut down the run, it looks like, in week one, but got carved up through the air. They gave up 312 yards and two touchdowns on 26 attempts. That's 12 yards per pass. And they gave that up to Tennessee Tech, who I believe was one of the worst FCS teams, at least last year or so. Um, anyway, it looks like it's a good matchup 
for Jackson. It's just hard to tell. I mean, he's not going to have his lead receiver, James Quick. Uh, it, they might have to go just like very, very run heavy in that one. And then in that case, you're kind of you're going to get left with or you, you know, you risk getting left with nothing if he doesn't make a big smash as a runner, because as a passer, you have to be prepared to basically get a zero there. You know, 100 yards and a touchdown is more than that is probably too much to ask from him. Now, we talked about possibly, you know, maybe in, in a certain format going with both Wisconsin running backs. If Clements out, would you consider doing that with both Georgia Tech running backs? And how do you kind of handicap where the points get scored uh, either from the quarterbacks there or the running backs? I mean, they both went off. I mean, everybody on that team went off last week. They got Tulane this week. Uh, Should be a bit more low scoring, but they're big favorites. Yeah, I don't think that they'll need to use Justin Thomas much. I mean, they can. He's a great runner, but he's also not very big. So I think they might try to save him for conference play, especially because Scov and uh, Marcus Marshall did so well. In week one, it's hard to tell exactly what their personnel philosophy is with those two guys, but they seem like the top two. Uh, Marcus Allen seems like a distant third, and Scott is a goal line guy, I think. I mean, he's like a former fullback. He's he's an obvious fullback bruiser in the triple option. Marshall's much more big play threat, more balanced in general, I think, than than Scott, but... um, I mean, you got you have to be able to block as a running back in that scheme, and I don't I don't know if I don't know where Marshall is at in that point. He had eight carries in week one, had a huge game, but you can't you know go betting on twenty yards of carry uh, from guys that you're you're buying in fantasy. So it's hard to project a bigger role for Marshall, but he's seems like a talented player. They have reason to develop him further, especially with you know what might be a more vulnerable opponent this week than what they'll see a month from now. So I think Marshall will have a place. It's just. Uh, it's just I would probably go with Skov the vast certainly in cash game lineups just because I think he has a big floor as a guy who who should probably get a lot of short yardage opportunities. Now I know you like you said you like Taze Taze Sharp and at wide receiver. Do you like either of the top three guys and in Higgins who uh, mispracticed Tuesday, uh, Nelson Spruce or William Fuller who went off uh, for Notre Dame last week? S- Spruce might be a good contrarian play uh, just because he's so heavily targeted and good, you know in a vacuum but also just because people might be a bit sour about his disappointing week one where uh, Colorado basically you know just kind of stumbled through a game against Hawaii that was you know pretty pretty disappointing but uh, they're going against Massachusetts at home I think being at home will help Seifo Luafau get his grip on uh, the offense again and Spruce is I mean too good for Mac defenses to stop so I think he'll get back on track. Uh, Higgins is kind of scary at this point because the coach is not being uh, Bobo, uh, a since vindicated target of the <laughs> player haters. He's uh, he's somehow found his way he's, out he's, of the player haters ball. He's looking. He's on the way to the narrow, the straight and narrow. Um, but uh, anyway, he said that Higgins has a sprain. Did not elaborate on what sprain means or where it might have occurred. But Higgins was not in practice. He left the last game early. So we got we to gotta keep an eye on that. Uh, if he plays, he's always in play just because he's, he should have won the Bolitnikoff last year. Uh, Nick Stevens looked really good at quarterback last week. Uh, Fuller, I think, for Notre Dame, is, I'm convinced that he's automatic at this point. He's been so good last year, uh, since last year, and he's scoring, scoring touchdowns too. It's like he's not a big receiver, but he's got like 17 touchdowns in his last like 14 games, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, Leonte Carew might be the most – uh, highly played I think Sharp and Carew probably get played the most this week on this slate 7400 for Leonte Carew who had three touchdowns on three catches 120 yards last week uh, granted they're not going to play Norfolk they're going to play Washington State but I, I still think that's a pretty 
easy matchup for Carew. Mm-hmm. He's really good. Um, <clears throat> and his quarterbacks seem to be decent right now, knock on wood, uh, which is a big contrast from recent Rutgers trends. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of good receiving targets, too. I, I think the Washington State passing game took a, took a deflation uh, a trend because of their disappointing week one, but Gabe Marks at 6,800. Uh, he, he, he had like 76 catches two years ago before redshirting last year. He, he's, he's a good candidate to lead that team in all receiving stats. And uh, given that we're, it's Washington State we're talking about going against a bad defense, uh, 6,800 seems kind of cheap to me, but Tajay Sharp at 6,900, Keon Hatcher at 7,200, all those guys are candidates to you know breeze past 100 yards and a touchdown. Um, otherwise, I mean, some of the lower... Lower tier targets, Alex Erickson, if Corey Clement is out, he might get even more volume in the Wisconsin passing game in which he has basically all of it. Like he's, he's like accounting for half of their passing stats since last year, it seems. Uh, if Clement's out, they might look to him a little bit more. Otherwise, uh, I think our Darius Stewart, all the beat writers around Alabama thought that he would be the lead receiver this year. I like his chances of having the better game this week after Robert Foster had the better game the week before Laquan Treadwell caught four passes for Mississippi last week in a, you know, comically out of hand blowout. So he might get a little more uh, of a place in the game plan against Fresno, but uh, probably not a super high ceiling there because Mississippi is going to crush them too. But yeah, otherwise River Craycraft at uh, 5,700 for Washington state. He had a, he had a terrible game last mm. week, uh, two catches for 26 yards, which made him a, one of the biggest disappointments. But he was getting targets. He just was yeah. dropping the ball for some reason. I was going to ask you, like, how do you handicap those those Washington State wide receivers after week one? I mean, do you, how do you read into it that much at all? I mean, I know that it was just one week. I think they should be priced higher than this. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, the, just the for how much how much they fell flat against what was supposed to be a hopeless opponent of Portland State. I'm guessing that kind of you know it messed with the algorithms that go into pricing mm-hmm. uh, for probably all the sites really. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I think they're an obvious bounce back candidate. All, all of Gabe Marks and river Craycraft, Dom Williams are in play for me, probably pretty much everywhere. It's always a, it's always a, you know, nearly impossible task to guess who will have the best game out of the group. But um, just, yeah, just definitely worth mentioning. Craycraft was getting targets. He just dropped like, I think at least two passes last week. So uh that 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 is not common for him as far as i know here's a guy who's going to be in play for me and that's nick chubb uh <laughs> friend of the podcast uh one of the one of the guys i mean he's he's not like a, a buck nasty he's like a silky johnson uh when we're talking about the the player haters ball he he kind of runs the show he wins <laughs> hater of the year every year um, um i mean he's he's, he's, he's a number two running I mean, back for me this week uh, i mean vanderbilt i like this matchup even though it could be a blowout I think Grayson Lambert is too bad of a quarterback to get nice. the passing game going against That's what Vandy. I like to hear. Um, but <laughs> in that scenario, obviously, gotta just give the keys to Chubb. And I, I, I think this is like one of his better bets for like a 200-yard game mm-hmm. this year, just because Georgia needs to win it. It's a conference game; they can't risk it. Vanderbilt's defense might be pretty good. They just totally shut down Western Kentucky. Uh, they brought back nine starters. Derek Mason is a bad coach at Vanderbilt, but he's at least a good defensive coach. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I think Vanderbilt could shut down that passing game and make them go to Chubb, who can't be stopped by anybody. So you you said he was your number two back. Who do you have number one? Um, um, the God Elijah McGuire uh, <laughs> at Lafayette. The God. Yeah, um, they're going against Northwestern State. That's the team that Seth Russell threw for like 450 yards and four touchdowns against in uh, one half last year. 
Uh, Elijah McGuire, I think he should go nuts in that game. It's it like like really kind of a, a, I think he might do a cruel box score on Northwestern's defense. Okay, Northwestern so, State. Sorry. So we, you know, this is kind of the the mystery portion of the show because we don't have prices on any of these players in the the second slate, which has not been released yet, but. Uh, you know, I think there's there's some interesting matchups. Uh, first one that jumped out to me was Oklahoma at Tennessee. You got the over under of sixty four. Wow. Oklahoma one point favorites in that game. Mm. So you know that one should be pretty easy on the eyes. You know who I'm picking to, in that one. You, you gonna go Dobbs? Oh, I'm Space Dobbs will will get this. I believe. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think Tennessee wins that. But their their Tennessee secondary struggled in Week One against Bowling Green. A lot of people freaking out about that. I don't know that it's as big of a deal as people think because I've, I've been saying all along, Bowling Green has really, really good receivers. Like They might be like top 15, top 20 percentile in the whole country, uh, Power 5 conferences included, because they're just, they're just loaded at receiver. And Matt Johnson is a really good quarterback. So uh, I, I was surprised at how much success Bowling Green had, but I wasn't surprised that they had success. Um, Tennessee is without their, I think, best safety for probably the year with a neck injury, so that doesn't help things. Um, and it definitely helps uh, Oklahoma's chances of getting rolling faster than they did against Akron. They were kind of slow out of the gates. But Sterling Shepard? Uh, yeah, I love Sterling anytime. Any, any game, I think Sterling can go off. But, uh, yeah, I just want to mention quickly, like I think I'm going to go be an optimist on this one and suspect that Oklahoma's rather sluggish start against Akron might have been because the new offensive coordinator, Lincoln Riley, was saving some of his tricks for this game, which is obviously a much bigger deal than Akron, who just can't pose a threat to a team like Oklahoma. So I'm hoping that uh, for at least for that anybody who owns Oklahoma's players for their sakes anyway, I'm hoping that uh, Lincoln Riley was holding back a bit and that we might see the, the more full form of their offense this week. Another game where I could see uh, some people being in play is the Arizona-Nevada game. It's uh, 62.5 over under Arizona, 11.5 point favorites in that one. What did you? I know we'd, we'd been talking in the office uh, pretty heavily last week about various Arizona players that – that could be a good starts last week. What did you kind of take away from their game? And do you see anybody on either side of the ball here that you might be targeting? Um, it, it depends on the prices, obviously, because if that's, that's an offense that spreads the ball around a lot at receiver at running back, obviously Nick Wilson's going to get uh, pretty much all the, all the work as long as the game is remotely competitive. So you always have to like Wilson, uh, assuming he's at, at a reasonable price, especially against a team like Nevada, which I highly doubt can slow him at all. But I also figured the same thing about UTSA and uh, Larry Coker somehow has them way too way way better than they should be after yeah, losing. Settle like, down, all those. UTSA. Coker, what? Do, how do you do this? <laughs> Every year this happens. Um, they're just way better than they should be. Um, anyway, that credit to them. That that was that was very impressive what they did actually. But um, yeah, I mean Caleb Jones is the top target at receiver, but they still spread it to Samaje Grant, who was an unannounced suspension for Week One which allowed leading 2013 receiver Nate Phillips to find the end zone. I think Phillips stays in the picture. I don't think Samaje Grant is as good as his year-end numbers last year would imply, uh, especially since it happened while Phillips was hurt. I think Phillips could easily be the better player. He was much better um, when they were both on the team in 2013. So uh, I kind of avoid anybody other than Caleb Jones, barring like a really favorable price on the other parts. Uh, but Solomon should be a totally fine quarterback play because uh, – 
they're they're probably going to be a, a little bit more vigilant than they might have been in this game uh, due to the relatively close finish against UTSA the previous week. So the line that probably stood out to me the most was uh, USC being 43-point favorites <laughs> against Idaho. Um, and yet the over-under is still 60. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's basically saying that USC is going to win like... You know, 50, 50 to 50 7 or something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> so, like, are you, I mean, it's, I mean, with a, with a line like that, I, I would f- find it very hard to deploy any of the Trojans. Um, I, I mean, I think tr- Justin Davis, first of all, the running back who most people, not us, assumed would start this year at running back. Uh, he missed last week. He should be back this week. Uh, Trey Madden still should be the starter because he's better, but he also might get pulled quickly because he's got a very long history of injury. So this should be over in a hurry. Like this might be a like 15 uh, pass attempt game for Cody yeah. Kessler. That still has five touchdowns in sure. it. Um, just cause, cause Idaho, Idaho is a mess and Paul Petrino is not going to have a good day Saturday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you're, if you're in full point per reception uh, formats though, I still like Desmond Epps if he's getting uh, at all, disrespected in the pricing because actually we have we have an interesting case study on this hang on a second i gotta beat my way to uh okay so 2013 desmond epps uh playing for let's see unfortunately we don't we don't have the usc specific example but i mean in 2013 desmond epps had a seven catch 126 yard game on the road against florida state and we had a spread kind of like this one, and it was a, it was, or at least the result was like the spread, eighty to fourteen, Florida State over Idaho. Uh, but yeah, so he's he's got a history of producing against tough defense, tough defenses on the road against Mississippi. T- like three weeks before that, he had a five catch, eighty nine yard, one touchdown game. So Epps is still in play. Um, everybody else on Idaho probably should be avoided, um, even if they look like kind of potential bargains. So. Yeah, okay. So I was going to ask, like, Des, Des Epps, I mean, 50% of people started him last week. That's it? I think it was... I, I it was can't like believe that wasn't, like, 80%. I think it That's, was 50%. Wow. Easy um, money But, I mean, those like you said on the show, like, if you don't start Desmond Epps, you're not going to win. Uh, I think that probably held true. Where do you think they move that price? Like, or or does it the fact that it's well, USC it was, kind of keep it? was, it? like, 3200 or yeah. something like that. Um, I don't or No, it was 5900 And... On a, on a, I, actually, that's probably the price I would put him at for USC is yeah. fifty nine hundred. It, it was it was too low for Ohio, but not too high, or not too low for uh, USC. But yeah, otherwise we get one of the other interesting games for this week is uh, Louisiana State versus Mississippi State at Mississippi State. I should say uh, Mississippi State was ranked twenty fifth by some mm-hmm. uh, whatever polls people care about. That's that's ridiculous. I think Leonard Fournette <laughs> stomps them. Dak Prescott always always valiant, probably keeps it vaguely close, but he'll try his best. I just don't think Mississippi State's that good, but I think yeah. Louisiana State is. I mean, we all, you know, Fournette was a guy that I I didn't really feel like deploying last week. Thankfully, did not after that game got canceled. Ugh, but man, that game in in the Illinois Kent, I just, uh, um, now yeah. I mean, I think I think this is a great great week to kind of get get on the Fournette train. Uh, any, I mean, the Oregon Michigan State game is probably the best like pure game. That um, one has a lot of uncertainty in it because Vernon Adams, uh, who was awesome and is 
after like two weeks of practice or whatever, he's still just amazing in his first start for Oregon. Uh, but yeah, he took a hit to the head and had like a throwing hand uh, boo-boo also. So who knows what his deal will be. If if he's not available, though, that's um, that's that's more work for Royce Freeman, but probably less points for Oregon. Uh, the Missis- the Michigan State side is hard, too, because they have a backfield committee and they, they kind of rotate the receivers a lot. They're generally hard to predict. Seems like Aaron Burbridge might have finally taken the step forward and taken the lead role there like he's been expected to for a while. Um, but yeah, otherwise, that I mean, that game is actually kind of hard to capitalize on, yeah. I think. So maybe maybe that's the game that you just kind of sit back and relax and, and watch uh, just for, for the love <laughs> of the game. The game that you do... A lot of watching for the action you have on it is the Tulsa New Mexico game, yes, which is the biggest over under the week seventy five and a half, and Oof. it's uh and I think New that Mexico's, might be going up by like the minute. Yeah, New like, Mexico. I'm looking at something says so like opened at sixty nine, then it was at seventy four. Now it's so yeah. So I mean, like there should be a ton of players on both sides of the ball here that that kind of do some serious damage. Obviously, we know about uh, the Tulsa guys. I mean, who who do you like? Uh, on New Mexico to, to possibly be, be useful? Um, New Mexico is actually very difficult to extract fantasy production out of because they rotate a preposterous number of players, uh, especially at running back, but even at, even at quarterback. They, uh, I mean, I guess I understand it. They, they put their quarterback into harm's way so often as, a, as an option team. So Lamar Jordan, their starter, is, you know, he, he's definitely their best quarterback. He's really quite efficient in that offense and week one completed all seven of his passes for 103 yards ran for 62 yards and a touchdown but backup Austin Apodaca had 11 pass attempts he's kind of I guess their passing specialist quarterback so Lamar Jordan he's he's got upside but he's got a he's got a low floor too um, and it, he might not finish in between that often uh, Jarrell Presley is the running back everybody's going to target I don't know what the status of Terry and Gibson is uh, I think he's generally kind of expected to miss this game, but we'll have to watch the practice reports this week. If Terry and Gibson is back, then Jarrell Presley is less appealing because Gibson was their leading returning rusher in, in attempts uh, with uh, 150 last year, whereas Presley was at 114. He's more of like an outside running specialist, the big play specialist, whereas Gibson they were looking to for probably more sustainable workloads, um, could, more consistent workloads. Could Zach... Langer be like a good yeah Tulsa like, has two play? I mean like or I don't know I mean like obviously everyone's going to want to get back in on Kevon Lucas I think that price is going to be pretty insane though too and like New Mexico traditionally has terrible run defenses I don't know if that would be an opportunity yeah to Tulsa actually had both of they have they have two starting running backs one of them basically didn't play in the first half which kind of terrified me because I had a lot of Zach Langer last week uh, he got like no carries in the first half or like two or something like that. D'Angelo Brewer started and had almost all the work, but um, Langer came in and the second half finished with 24 carries for 89 yards and three touchdowns. He's pretty clearly their best short yardage and in between the tackle runner. Brewer finished with better efficiency uh, in a yardage basis, 16 carries for 92 yards, but that that higher average is probably also the product of not getting carries in obvious short yardage situations. So um, those guys are kind of like an even grade for me. I don't know how to how to project reliably things like red zone opportunities for Langer and, and how many times Brewer might break long runs because he's the more elusive of the two. Uh, or whether they might try to get some passing targets in for Brewers so he can get some screens and shovel passes, et cetera. But, yeah, both of those guys are someone to target because, again, they, they combined for 40 carries last week. 
you know, it's like that's that's the Arkansas offense with Jonathan Williams nice. and Alex Collins, and you consider them both. Uh, sorry, the Tulsa offense is not in the broad sense at all like Arkansas's, but in terms of it looks like we might get similar returns from the running game is what I was trying to uh, hint toward. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a game that we're going to have to try to find a way to get on at the office. It should be kind of ridiculous, actually. <laughs> it, it might be like irresponsible football. Um, one team that I wanted to ask you about that I don't know much about, but just judging by the over-under and, and their favored uh, Memphis is, you know, they're they're playing Kansas this week. Notoriously terrible, Kansas. Uh, over so unders sixty two and a half. Memphis is almost two touchdown favorites in that one, which is kind of like the sweet spot if you want to really kind of uh, load up on points on a team where they're going to probably be playing their starters for most of the game. Is there anyone on Memphis that stands out to you as as someone worth targeting at any of the positions? Probably just the lead receiver, Moe's Frazier. He had six catch- catches for 89 yards, two touchdowns last week. Uh, but the quarterback, Paxton Lynch, he, he's really good. If you could guarantee that he'll play the whole game, he's definitely a target. Um, but it's also possible they won't need him very much. He only threw 12 passes last week, completed eight for 78 yards and a touchdown. He's a running threat, ran for 27 yards on three carries. Um, at running back with Memphis, I'm inclined to stay away because they have too many people. They're four deep there. They have Jarvis Cooper led them with 18 carries, followed by Jamarius Henderson with 15. Sam Craft had 12. And Dorland Dorsius, who might be their lead guy if they're in a competitive game, I don't know. He had six carries for 19 yards and two touchdowns. He was hurt last year, but he was explosive before he got hurt. Um, I don't know if the small workload from week one was just to prevent the, uh, to, to reduce the injury risk there with him. But yeah, it's pretty much just most Frazier for me on Memphis. But believe it or not, I actually think there could be some at least tournament appeal with Kansas if they're available because Memphis lost a lot and a lot of experience on their defense. So their defense had been really good in recent years. Um, they held Southwestern Missouri State to seven points last week, but I don't know what to make of that, uh, especially, I mean, they're going on the road to Kansas. So at least Kansas ran a lot of plays last week, which makes Montel Cozart a bit of a curiosity for me because he's a runner. Um, he'll get he'll get yardage on the ground. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Keon Kinner, the running back at Kansas, he was, he had a workhorse role last week. I think that'll stay the same. Maybe his efficiency will drop, but he had 27 carries. I think that's something that will probably continue with him 20 to 27, uh, type workload per game. He, he totaled 157 yards and two touchdowns. Cozart, um, in the meantime, he attempted 38 passes and ran 18 times. So even if he's not good, which I mean, he isn't, but even if he's not good, 38 pass attempts and 18 carries is so much volume. Mm-hmm. Like he can be bottom fifth efficiency and still finish, you know, top third in aggregate production. So yeah, I'm actually interested in Cozart and Kinner a little bit, depending on what their prices look like. Now the last game I want to hit on before we see if there's anything I, I forgot or uh, we'll just maybe call it a day, but uh, the, the Marshall Ohio game, uh, Marshall, uh, three-point favorites, over under 60. Are you going back to the A.J. Olette, uh well? Are you going to go uh, get some Darius Vick stock? Are you going to go get some Devin Johnson stock? I'm staying away from Ohio uh, quarterbacks. That rotation with J.D. Sprague is enough for me to categorically just cross off of Vick, even though I think Vick is pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I Marshall, I don't know what 
exactly they're going to look like this year. Michael Birdsong struggled a little bit as a passer against Purdue, was probably a more imposing runner than what Cato gave them in the in the past years, though. Other like they're kind of opposites in build. Rakeem Cato was like 5'11, 175 or something. Birdsong's like 6'5, 240, so he can run and take the beating. Um, I don't know if that means Marshall might look to go a bit more run heavy than in the past, but uh, he couldn't really get going in the passing game against Purdue. Ohio's defense is not a pushover. It's it's probably not quite as good as Purdue's, but it's not a pushover. And playing on the road, I would not assume that Birdsong has a good game. So Marshall needs to start using Devin Johnson more. I hate, and this is nothing new, I've hated how they use him. Um, so if, if we can get the ball going again briefly, uh, Marshall gave Devin Johnson, a guy who averaged... I don't even. I don't like want to get this wrong. Yards of carry More than that, I don't want to get. The, I don't want to get this wrong. But Devin Johnson averaged eight point six yards per carry last year. Eight point. Do you know how the number eight is relative to like five and four? And he's a running back. Uh, every, like all his competition, like the best of it was in you know six and a half type, seven and a half type. He's eight point six and seventeen touchdowns and two hundred and six carries. They gave him eleven carries last week. Eleven carries. That's. Just stupid. I'm just really, really glad that he, like, I didn't play any of the slates. I don't know if there were even were slates on Sunday, but I was didn't have any shares of that. But if he had been on, if that matchup had been on the Saturday slates, I would have definitely had a lot of that. So. Yeah, that game went down to the wire, and they gave him 11 carries. He averaged 8.1 per carry, scored a touchdown, had two catches for 27 yards and a touchdown. I that's just that's stupid and negligent and they're gonna lose if they keep that crap up they'll lose to Ohio if they keep that crap up go Ohio Um, I kind of like that Ohio team a little bit yeah Ohio is tough they're they're really well coached um they always overachieve if Devin Johnson doesn't get 20 carries I I don't I think Marshall's just begging for a loss there so just just from going over these games the the late slate which which is not out yet on FanDuel and the early slate which is uh, can you kind of get a sense for which one you see the more uh, profit potential at, or at least the one where you see the most values? I mean, they, people should check out both because they're both potentially big slates. I want to say there's like 76 games this week. So um, obviously they're not all on Saturday mm-hmm. and not all of them will be eligible for a DFS contest, but that's still a ton of games. I mean, that's 76 games. Uh, that's That's much more than average because, I mean, with... Uh, 128 teams in the FBS level. Obviously, they're dipping deep into like the FCS pool right. to get a number like that this week. But yeah, there should be a ton of games available, a lot of options, and uh, yeah, if you if you dig deep in college football, this these slates should give you a chance to show off, you know, the endurance level of your knowledge, um, and kind of hopefully get some get some edge just for for all the the deep research you've done. All right. Well, yeah, you heard it here. So, I mean, if you if you think you're smart, well, go go prove it. Go get in some of the tournaments that Mario and I are in. We're not actually doing a listener league, unfortunately. Uh, they they basically said we don't want to uh, piss off our customers and have them keep giving you guys money. So we're not going to allow them to to donate to the Mario Puig and James Anderson fund. But uh, I actually don't have one of those. <laughs> I I just carry a change bag. So. <laughs> um. Well, we'll be back with you next week. I'm James Anderson. Uh, find me on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. That's Mario Puig. NFL draft underscore RW? 
Yeah, I think that's it. Sounds um, something like that. Yeah, tweet questions <laughs> at us, and we can answer them on the podcast, and you know, really help out people. Yeah, if you reference if you reference the player haters ball, then we will definitely mention we will your fly you into the Midwest <laughs> on the podcast next week. Okay, uh, have a good day, everyone. Thanks, guys.